Hello and welcome to the Skewer Podcast. The Skewer is a live monthly news review satirizing the dumb news of the month that was through hilarious op-ed and debate every first Wednesday of the month at Cafe Mustache in Chicago. This particular edition of the Skewer was recorded on February 5th, 2020. Please enjoy... Welcome, everybody, to the skewer on this gorgeous, glorious, blustery, snowy Wednesday night in February 2020. My name is Erica Dreisbach. I'm going to be your host tonight. Here's a word I've read a lot and heard a lot lately. Electable. Who is electable? The unspoken presumption is that an electable person is good and smart and leaderly, which is obscene, because we all know that objectively the most electable person is Donald Trump, (laughs) who is a demented baboon. I am no longer afraid that the democratic obsession with electability will yield the same result in 2020 as it did in 2004. As we all recall, 2004 was the year John Kerry, a.k.a. Mr. Heinz Ketchup, and John Edwards, the guy who cheated on his wife while she was dying of cancer. (laughs) Then I realized, no, he's actually just one of the guys. They were handily defeated by George W. Bush, the guy who says nuclear and Dick Cheney, who did (laughs) 9-11. Electability probably gives us a Buttigieg-Biden ticket, or Biden-Buttigieg. That's Miracle Whip on Wonder Bread. One of them is the tangy white wiggly goo, and the other is two spongy layers wrapping it up in a non-consensual hug. For a small group of people, this highly electable sandwich is the good, good, yummy, nummy. And for the rest of us, we could choke it down if it was our only option. And make no mistake, there is no conscientious abstention from lunch in 2020. We're going to choke it down. It's not 1996 out here. Still... I was once afraid that if we put creamy white on the menu, we'd be doomed to repeat the failure of John John 2004. I'm not afraid of electability discourse anymore. Because I don't think it matters who we nominate. Because now I'm afraid that in November, Trump will suspend the election indefinitely. Because thanks to the successful arguments of the sex pervert Alan Dershowitz... It is now the presumed law of the land that anything the U.S. president does is in the U.S. national interest. Pharaoh can't defy Egypt. Pharaoh is Egypt. All it would take is one itty-bitty crisis. Fun fact, you can spell crisis with ISIS. (laughs) But you can also spell it with alleged voter fraud or pandemic. It could be a crisis deliberately manufactured by Trump. Who would stop him? The FBI? Congress? The Supreme Court? Bernie? Ivanka? Now I'm really getting into fan fiction territory where she says, good night, 
daddy, and then she garrets him from behind the resolute desk with an artisanal cheese wire. You see, she was mad, burning mad about the jacked-up price of Parmesan due to Trump's tariffs. That's a real thing that an Italian in our, in our world is upset about. <laughs> but we know now, because we all saw it, Trump can do whatever he wants, and no one will stop him. He can put his political opponents in jail. He can defund and dissolve the FBI. I know that norms and centrism are the new dirty, dirty wordies, but a politically polarized culture, one that's conditioned to reject information sources like the corporate fake news media, is cognitively easier to persuade and manipulate. This is a finding which, as Tom knows, I can support with research. But I thought I'd put a nice button on it here with anecdotal evidence. <laughs> Think about how much harder it'd be to get a Klobuchar voter to take an assault rifle to Pizzagate. And then I thought about it. And the Pizzagate guy actually probably is a Klobuchar voter. <laughs> For sex reasons. That's a joke I stole from Joe Anderson, who you will hear from tonight. Anyway, the good part of norms is that when the norm is a peaceful, lawful transition of power, that's what we expect, and that's what we get hundreds of times from 1787 on. I'm afraid we're not going to get a peaceful, lawful normal transition come January 2021. Fun fact, the November 2020 skewer is the day after the election. And Tom, I know, it's going to be a weird day no matter what happens. I think we shouldn't book any writers. We should just have cake and booze and the stiffest ginger ales for me and my soda people. And we should just... Just, like, survive that moment, that extremely intense, crazy moment. We've got a great show for tonight. We've got a great show for you tonight. We've got a show for two you tonight. We've got a great show for you tonight. It begins with my man, Kevin Johnson, and the fake news quiz. But who? But who? But who will rise to the challenge of the fake news quiz? This looks so much taller when I was, like, sitting. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's a fake news quiz. Two headlines are bad. One's good, except it's false. Damn it. It's the other way around. Fuck. Okay. Two headlines are true. One of them is false. You've got to tell me which one's false. That's all it is. But I need a volunteer. And for your trouble, you will get a drink ticket. One of them. Yeah. Oh, you want it. You want a drink ticket. <laughs> so, I, I don't want to fool you. This will get you, like, well water. Damn it. Whatever. <laughs> Fuck it. I don't know. So, what's your name? I'm Dot. Dot. Dot? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Say hi, Dot. Hi, Dot. Now you're in a cult. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So, you're going to have three sets of questions. Okay. Or three sets of headlines. Jesus Christ. I haven't done this in a while. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I've never right. done this before at all. All right, your first headline. Okay. A gas station worker stole $17,000 worth of stuff on his first shift, and his boss doesn't even know his name. Just, that's fucking dope. <laughs> Story two. Man claims a hate crime after a bank refuses to accept his check while he was wearing blackface. 
Story three. Wisconsin deputy alleg- allegedly scoured obituaries, then broke into people's homes while they were at funerals. Where is that from again? Uh, Wisconsin. Okay. Does that... <laughs> okay. I mean, if it were Florida, then yes, it's automatically true. But yes, I understand. <laughs> All right, let's see. I'm going to go with the first one. That the gas station worker stole like $17,000 worth of stuff? That's the false headline. Oh, no, that's true. Oh, God. <laughs> that, that, man, that man is a legend. <laughs> Yeah, we don't know his name. That makes him even more of a legend, though, because he's just like a guy. All right, so the, the second one was actually fake. There's a manhunt for a guy in Maryland. He robbed a bank, and he had blackface on. So that's what actually happened, which is whatever. All right, your second set of stories. Story one. Ooh, it's another thief. But he stole weed from a cannabis amnesty box at the Midway Airport, and then he got away. So, so like at the TSA, you're like, oh, I'm going to go to another state and they don't allow weed. So there's like, here's a box. You can just throw it in there and you don't get in trouble. But this dude was like, yoink. (laughs) There you go. A treasure chest. Just in case, just in case that didn't, you know, it is. Filled with golden nuggets. Story two. Chicago man joins a gang for a day after getting locked outside of his house. Just just for a fun adventure. (laughs) Story three. WWE wrestler has championship belt stolen outside of Logan Square Auditorium, again, in Chicago. Okay. So one of those Chicago things happened. Well, two of them, actually. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I'm failing this quiz. Okay, okay. Hmm. I'm going to go with the second one for this one. The Chicago man gets locked out of his apartment and joins a gang. Yeah, you don't join a gang for a day. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> That's just for life. <laughs> so what actually happened is that a, a Utah man got locked inside of a 24-hour fitness. <laughs> It, it, it fucking happens. I don't know, man. All right. So your last set of stories. Okay. For months, Facebook moderators have re- refused to remove AI-generated nudes of Mark Zuckerberg on the platform. That hmm? seems almost too false. It's true. I know. <laughs> I know. All right, give me more. Give me more. Story two. Model says her nudes have raised, raised seven... $100,000 for Australian fire relief. I can believe that. Yeah. Okay, sure, whatever. <laughs> Story three, mansplaining convention is coming to Orlando and promises to make women great again. Okay. Could I get the first one one more time? No, I already did the paper. <laughs> I the paper. It's the AI. Uh, oh, oh, right, right, right. So, okay, I'm going to go with the third one for that. It's the false headline. Damn it, why did I do this twice? <laughs> uh, mansplaining convention is certainly happening, so you are, you are incorrect. I'm sorry. Damn. For your trouble, you can have a drink. This Perfect. will get you a ginger beer if you don't drink alcohol. So, so I will, I will just, you, can, you can leave if you want. You're welcome to stay. stay. the whole time. But you will have to leave when I leave. Um, the first story is actually fake. Facebook refused to remove a business page dedicated to a woman's booty hole. So there you go. Oh. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. All right. Well. That was also AI generated. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, you're free to leave. Thank you. Erica, you've got to come back to the stage. And we're going to leave. Thank you, Kevin, for the fake news quiz. And now we've got our first op-ed reader of the night. Onisia is the younger and less successful sister of Olivia Popes, a high-level political fixer. Tonight, Onisia is debuting her political advice column, Dear Onisia Pope. 
if political grifting doesn't work out, she's going back to authoring Just Being Funny, a weekly humor column in the Daily Herald under the pen name Onesia Muller. OnesiaMuller.com. Welcome her up. Hello, friends. So, as you know, first you start a column, then you do some TV spots, and then I'll be on a nationwide book tour. (laughs) All right, this letter comes from, let's see, Prime Minister Dr. Hubert Menace. Oh, wait, was I supposed to give him an alias? Um, uh, Let's see, um, Prime Minister... Uberte Inesme writes, As you may have read in the Daily Herald, Hurricane Dorian hit the Bahamas pretty bad last September. I need to rebuild quickly, smartly, and with resilience. So, on January 13th, I hosted the Hurricane Dorian Pledging Conference. I invited representatives of governments, multilateral agencies, and financial institutions. Okay, so first of all, a pledging conference? Okay, that is a rookie mistake, right? Pledges ain't nothing but promises. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And promises are comforts to fools. <laughs> but let's keep reading. I spent taxpayer funds to book the, the Baja Mar Convention Center, we collected pledges in the amount of $1.5 billion. Okay, cool. The event committee thought up a theme and everything, rebuilding a stronger and more resilient Bahamas. Unfortunately, that's less than half the estimated, dam- the estimated losses and damages. Okay, so first of all, I'm not surprised, right? With a theme like that, I don't expect anyone to rain down dollar bills, right? (laughs) What? (laughs) What? And then he says, that's including pledges for in-kind services. So, sir, right? In-kind donations? You can't scrape off the top of in-kind donations. What kind of politician are you? Okay? So basically, what you're writing here is that you lost money on a political influencer brand trip, right? Right? The only thing those governmental representatives and international investors were interested in was a free Bahamian vacation. (laughs) He writes, oh boy, what a long letter. Sir, you are a hot mess. I must rebuild my island so I can stay in office. Do you think this can be done by simplifying requirements and expediting applications for Bahamian and international investors? Do I think you should have laxer investment requirements? Okay, sir, you are not a genius, but you're on the right path, right? (laughs) Caribbean politicians are always pushing lower corporate taxes That's the beauty of living in a hurricane zone. A hurricane ain't nothing but the dog ate my homework for Caribbean politicians. In fact, 
it's better than the dog ate my homework because now you have international media outlets confirming the existence of the dog and its ability to shred your homework. So they continue. Would you liberalize the process of investing for housing, the environment, debris cleanup, education, health, infrastructure, economy? Sir, at this point, you basically just want to liberalize everything. You're just like, I need, is this a cash grab? It is a cash grab. <laughs> so if you're asking me for my professional opinion, I would say, stop talking about your deals to the media, okay? Hosting a pledging conference? is a short-sighted photo op, right? Everyone knows political progress is made through backdoor dealings, so do like every seasoned politician and pretend like you balance the budget. God damn! Your constitution, your constitutions, yeah, your constituents doesn't care if you steal or not. All they care about is that they get what they need to live, right, right? Okay. And then finally, he's like, P.S., should I consider changing careers? <laughs> changing careers. Dear Minister Obertine Amos May, okay? You don't want to put a prime minister's resume into the dark hole that is LinkedIn, all right? All right? Imagine being in politics Imagine asking your political rival for a letter of recommendation. <laughs> what are you doing? Sir, you're overqualified for everything. No one's going to hire an incompetent prime minister. <laughs> you have options, though. You could abuse your executive power and change your identity. You could, but, but history has shown us that once a prime minister always a prime minister for you americans trump has been president once prepare yourselves <laughs> oh too real too soon too real too soon okay so here's the deal like you emperor napoleon fudged up his political gig and got exiled to elba stay with me right he was on an island with only 20,000 inhabitants that's like going from prime minister to Starbucks manager, right? <laughs> Napoleon couldn't go down like that. No. So he escaped Elba with 700 men. But when the British caught up with him, they exiled him to St. Helena, an even worse island. <laughs> so dear prime minister and future prime ministers in training, you don't want to die or worse, retire on a Starbucks manager pension. <laughs> Stop worrying about money and policy and focus on maintaining power. Within five years, a new Category 5 hurricane will come and eat up your political homework. Give it up for Onisia Pope. Next up, our second op-ed of the night, we've got Sadie Lynn Crete, the producer of the Arts and Culture Club, a dope show, and a creator, lover, and appreciator of content in all its forms. Give it up for Sadie Lynn Crete. Hello, hello, hello. 
Duke of Logan Squire. Thank you, thank you for your warm welcome, Mustache Tavern. Who am I, you may ask? Why, I am one whose presence has been most fervently demanded by the people of your nation. Surely word has spilled from the lips that sip upon gossip, spreading to every washerwoman, fishmonger, child thief, and apparently political correspondent, revealing my once secret identity. Can you not tell by my pointed stocking cap and sprightly form? No? Well, then surely this will refresh your memory. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Here I stand before you in the very flesh. It is I, the whistleblower, revealed at last. (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is I who travels from village to village with my enchanted tin whistle, delighting both young and old alike with my story songs. Tales of brave explorers, cunning nobles, maidens pure of heart, and sailors bold. Why, entire towns gather around the heart as I stand before them, but a shadow against the warmth of the fire, spinning tales like golden thread from the very air. And when my tales have been told, and the dragons slain and all the lessons learned, I doff my hat, Bow and slip off into the night, just a whistle in the wind. The whistleblower. (laughs) I was content making my journey with footsteps softer than a shadow on meadow grass, but a rustle in the branches and the echo of a bird song. But prying eyes and greedy hands have grasped me by little shoulders and pulled me into the spotlight. The people of your country have demanded that I step forward, so here I am, yes. The whistleblower! (laughs) Why now? Why now do your representatives, your sheriffs, landowners, and men of renown proclaim across the continent that I reveal my identity? That I do not know. It is puzzling to me, and it takes an awful lot of puzzling to puzzle a puzzler. Never before in my countless years as a servant of mirth have I had my presence so fervently, willfully, dare I say, brutishly demanded. Well, here I am, as real as any creature in this fair realm. Is it that, after so long, without my presence as a folk hero, your people intend to honor and celebrate me, my ballads and tales? I can only imagine that, in times of strife and political divide, men cry out for jollity. And what a better time for an impish, ageless youth to gather folks together and share in a story, to hear the tootle-toots of my tin whistle as I conjure up images from a time forgotten? Well, there's much to be learned from the old stories of wealth of knowledge to share. Could it be that the people of your land want to gather by the hearth as my audience? I don't think so. (laughs) Well, they say, as I'm told, these senators and feudal lords, they say, bring out the whistleblower, box his ears, and send him to the stocks. Stick a turnip in his mouth and send him to the roasting hole. Hollow out, hollow out an old gourd and place it over his noggin and send him to the hog's yard. My good lords and ladies, stand up. The hog's yard is a sentence for knaves and swindlers, not for artists who dare speak truth to power. (laughs) My good people, those who have summoned me back to your realm have anger and fury in their hearts, which I do not believe is earned. Why? Why do they harbor such ill will towards me? Surely there must be a reason for such a controversy to surround some such a simple bard such as myself. 
you know, was it my tall tale, the bullfrog whose frog wife was another's frog lover, a little too, too close to home for some of you? There's hardly a show of power to take my tales personally, especially when even children can learn from them without squabbling over who's who. Even the most wicked of lords who received a nod in one of my parables must understand that I simply hold up a mirror to society, almost like a, a joker. Uh, and then I walk... <laughs> I'm off fast as a cricket in the tall grass. Some do not even remember me in their waking moments. To them, I am but a trick of the light, a bubble in their ale, a, a whistle in the wind. <laughs> Treason is a word I'm hearing thrown around. Those most aggressively demanding that I reveal my whereabouts, my personage, seem to express the utmost devotion and loyalty to your king. I would say, I, well, of course I respect a ruler of a nation such as formidable as this, but I won't say that because I'm a storyteller, not a liar. <laughs> From what I hear, your leader's in hotter water than the unfortunate crew of the ship that sailed on the sun, which is one of my ballads. It's great. It's, it's, it would send me way over the seven to ten minutes that I have tonight, though. <laughs> But that is besides the point. <laughs> they say I am some manner of tattler, that that is quite the exaggeration, for while I may pepper my fanciful stories with gems as truth, as all fablers do, my stories are simply allegorical. I wouldn't give away the true Christian name of the Serpent of St. Charles, because for my purposes, he's a big snake in a velvet doublet. <laughs> Traditionally, it has been the role of the fool to say what is not to be said about a ruler. Bards such as I, who make merry instead of money, are of such low status that we loop all the way back around to being able to, for example, note that the emperor has no clothes. Or in your leader's case, that the emperor has clothes that don't fit him. <laughs> and truth be told, I have not traveled across this goodly earth in many an oak's age. Who am I to have a take? Where I have a take, it would not be hard and it not cold, simply underbaked. And, and the only Twitter I know is, well, this. <laughs> Surely I have not made a mockery of your leader more than any of the fair jesters in your city. It's the city which is almost overrun with jesters. <laughs> Verily, the, the reason for all the spite couldn't be the, the whistling, could it? I mean, the whistling is the most important part of my entire deal. Uh, clear as the bells of St. Barnabas Square, as melodious as the peacocks in the royal peacock paddocks. Surely the aggression, the demand, the, the threats from members of your American court could not stem from such a lack of taste that would find this displeasing to their ears. <laughs> Surely the tunes that spill forth from the end of my whistle, all at once ancient and new, could not be considered a, an annoyance. <laughs> Whatever the reason, it's undeniable that the cries and bellows demanding my identity are not to sing my praises. But why, pray tell, is my name so important, huh? I'm not Rumpelstiltskin. Do they hope to make me vanish? It's much easier than that, you know. All one needs to do to make me disappear is simply stop believing. <laughs> but in that, it's also harder, because as long as there are curious children and maidens in love, there's a hint of hope in their souls that I may still walk this good earth. A name, even my name, is unimportant to me. What, what matters are the grand adventures I invite you on with the beckoning of my whistle? <laughs> and besides, the whistleblower, yours truly, has many, many names that I've gathered over my lifetimes of travel. They want to out me and speak my true name. Well, which one will cease the roaring of these lords? I'll throw some of my names out there. 
Tim Tom Tin. <laughs> Roger of the Green Glass. Brendrick Kendrick. Merry Old Young Boy. Darude Sandstorm. Ken Bone. Darius Dirthouse. Ryan Bear Toucher. Simper Sandalion. Any of these and many more. You know, I wish to not be known by any name, for as many as I have being known so dearly to so many wandering minds across God's green earth, I, I wish to be known by the laughter and tears from eyes green to grey. Well, goodly yeoman of Mustache Tavern, here I stand before you. Oh, the whistleblower's here. Gather the town criers, the gossips and the scribes, and look no further. The whistleblower stands before you in the very flesh. And what shall you do? Oh, I am sure you're hollowing out your biggest noggin gourd, readying your hungriest hogs, hell-bent on gnawing on my bones. To be true, would suit me better than being involved any further in American politics. I truly don't understand how any of this is my fault. I, why not simply let me blow my whistle? <laughs> I have no doubt, being the trickster that I am, I will easily escape whatever punishment awaits me, be it the hog's yard or simply having to sit through more courtroom drudgery. But if your people ever do need me to un- unite your town with the rousing tale of a soothing song, you know how to find me. Hold a wish in your heart and... Give a little whistle. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, my God. Now and for the rest of my life, I'm going to imagine the whistleblower being forced to testify, and they're like, state your name for the court. And he says, well, my true name is Daraday Stanstorm. (laughs) We've got our third op-ed reader from the night, your friend and mine, but mine especially, but also for some of you, your friend, but mine especially. Tom Harrison is game master for the actual play RPG podcast, Shuffle Quest, co-founder, co-host, and co-producer of The Skewer, and co-host of Erica, me, my favorite podcast, Anime Sickos, a podcast for geniuses, which explores the four pillars of modern misery, anime, Posting, gaming, and jobs. Welcome up to the stage, uh, Tom Harrison. Hello. There we go. Hey, folks, it's me. Yay. So instead of doing an actual op-ed about a news story, you know, the, 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 the thing that the show is. Uh, instead of doing that, I'm going to tell you about the fun vacation I went on over the holidays. If this sounds like a lazy and self-serving thing to do, uh, yeah, dude. <laughs> I did it on purpose. Would you not? This is the 46th skewer essay I've done, so I think I've earned the right to not have to write any jokes and just show you my vacation photos. <laughs> None of us here want me to fucking talk about the primaries. (laughs) You know, I'm going to make a deal with you. I'm going to show you how this is going to go. I'm going to tell you about my trip. I'm going to do a few gags. I'm going to give you some fun anecdotes full of goofer details. Then I'm going to pull a twist on you where it gets serious. And I make some heavy points. But then I'm going to turn it around. I'm going to end it on a big silly punchline that brightens the mood back up. Are are we good? Do we have a deal? (laughs) Love it. 
So this December, my wife and I spent two weeks in Spain with her parents. Specifically, we were in Alara, a small town in Andalusia, the southernmost part of Spain. The thing about Alara is that it's a fucking jaw-droppingly gorgeous town of gleaming white stone buildings perched above a verdant fucking sun-dappled valley from a video game. <laughs> I cannot emphasize enough that Spain is if Western Europe went sicko mode. <laughs> The entire town is lousy with olive trees everywhere. You can drive the olives you got from your backyard down to the communal olive press and just get a big fucking jug of fresh olive oil. And folks, I took out a bottle of my in-law's olive oil just as a beam of sunshine was coming through the window and it caught the light just right such that it gleamed like life-giving liquid gold and it was so good it made me fucking cry. I would have for lunch every day bread, olive oils, and a bowl of uh, bread, olive oil, and a bowl of olives. That's it, and it was better than any fucking meal that exists in this blighted backwater. <laughs> every time I ate an olive, I would get 200 experience points, and now I'm now I am very high level. Alara, <laughs> Alara is pretty badass. <laughs> It has, like, three bakeries, and there's a guy in a cart with a huge vat of bubbling oil who will shoot out a coil of churro dough into it and give you dripping hot churros for breakfast. We visited the vet because one of my in-law's cats had worms, and the vet was the hottest man I had ever seen in my life. <laughs> I, I, sidebar, I hate seeing hot people because when you do, you have to get married to them. And I don't want to get married, because I've already been married. I don't want to get married to this new hot person. Hot people should be illegal. <laughs> no, I don't, I, I don't mean attractive people, and I don't want to get it twisted. There are plenty of attractive people who I know who I don't want to marry and whose presence does not break the law. And if you are wondering, well, gosh, am I hot? No, you're not. <laughs> you're attractive. If you were hot, you would know, and you would regret it. <laughs> Anyway, Spain whips ass because everything there is awesome, but they have absolutely zero national ambition. <laughs> like, Iberico ham is the best shit in the universe. It's this special ham that shines ruby red, and when you put it in your mouth, it makes you see through the river of time. <laughs> there are huge buckets of fucking ham legs at every grocery store, and when you go to a bar, well, what's there on the other side? It's a big fucking ham leg. <laughs> It makes prosciutto look like utter dog shit. <laughs> and if you're like, hey, Spain, maybe you should export this and try to hype it up with some sort of trendy ingredient. They're just like, why the fuck would we do that? <laughs> and you're like, to make money. And they're like, what's money? One amazing instance of this was this place we saw in Seville called uh, the T Torre del Oro, which is like this weird squat little stone tower on the, on the fucking river that has a Spanish naval museum in it. Now, I don't, know if you're, I don't know if you're up on your Spanish history, but Spain used to have, like, the best navy, but then they all sank and they became poor for 400 years. <laughs> the, tone, the tone of this museum was fucking wild, because they do not mention that at all. <laughs> Imagine a celebrity, 
who was like really cool in the 80s. Let's say Tom Selleck. Imagine Tom Selleck. Cool? Now imagine in 1989, Tom Selleck had big time diarrhea in his pants on live national TV. He was wearing a white suit. He started crying when it happened. He tried to run away, but he slipped on it. You got that? Okay, now further imagine you're at a Tom Selleck museum in 2020. And it's like, Tom Selleck was a cool sex symbol everyone liked in 1989. His popularity declined, but now he's back and cooler than ever. <laughs> the capstone of this fucking museum was this big triumphant celebration of the Spanish Navy's return to world prominence, specifically that they recently got one boat made of metal instead of wood. <laughs> Another thing that's wild as hell is that all Spanish cathedrals are basically genocide museums. <laughs> Not the kind that are somber reflections on the sins of the past like you'd see in a Holocaust museum. Instead, it's like, hey, bam, 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 what up, homies? Check out how much gold we stole from the savages! <laughs> Like, you'll wander into a random back corner of this place, and there'll be a huge sculpted slab of pure gold that's 30 feet by 20 feet. And you're like, this is the one they had to shove in the back because they had too many bigger ones. There was this one sculpture right in the middle uh, of four dudes in finery, each like 15 feet tall. Each car they're carrying a big box on two poles. The detail on this sculpture was gorgeous and breathtaking. We wondered, what's in the box? I said, <laughs> knowing Spain, it's probably some shit they stole from the new world. We looked it up later. I was not cynical enough. <laughs> it, was, it was Christopher Columbus in the box. It was the bones, the bones of the guy. <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> Speaking of Seville, uh, my wife and I went there for three days as like a mini trip in the trip. And before it sounds too much like I'm bragging about my fun Seville vacation, which again, I am doing. <laughs> please remember that I am me. And I was therefore gripped with panic and anxiety the entire time. <laughs> I'm fortunate enough to have the American educational system spend 12 years teaching me Spanish, which is to say that if a Spaniard said something to me that I was not expecting them to say, I would immediately begin to cry and run away. <laughs> to me, it is extremely rude when a Spaniard in their own country does not simply speak one of the five sentences I am prepared to understand. Whenever this would happen, I would just toss my wife at the situation, like throwing a blanket over a grease fire, going like, you do Duolingo, handle it. <laughs> the worst example of this was this time we needed to kill some time in Seville before a flamenco show. Sidebar, flamenco kicks ass. It's like it fucking makes tap dancing look like baby shit. It stomps dick. Anyway, we sat down at this tiny corner bar, just the cutest place to gem. Uh, I want some Spanish wine. I'm in Spain. I see in front of me a laminated wine list. I look at the words, and they're not the words I'm expecting to see, so I begin to cry. Uh, <laughs> There is the word fino, not vino, f-f-f-fino, and then fino again, but with some letters next to it, and then there's only four options. I know instantly I'm going to fuck this up so hard in a way no one ever has before. <laughs> I whispered to myself to try to calm myself down, fino means fine. <laughs> I decide 
I'll just get the cheapest one. So I, the bartender comes by. I order a glass of Fino, pointing to Fino on the menu. And what happens next will never leave my fucking brain. <laughs> the bartender does this move that cycles through like ten emotions in three seconds. It's something like this. It goes from, what is going on? What is this person doing? To, holy shit, this is some foreign moron trying his best. To, this motherfucker has no idea what he's doing. To, holy shit, I'm going to have to be the one to explain all this shit to him. To, I would rather do anything more than put a baba in this American baby's mouth and bottle feed him the basic concept of what wine is. To, well, the only way out is through... Just fucking get it over with. He pulls out a much longer wine list, and I surmise that what I was looking at was some sort of list of specials. <laughs> he points to the line that says Fino on the little list, and then over to another line on the big list that says some other shit. I was in a shame spiral, so I didn't comprehend any of the words he was saying. We both are fucking miserable. <laughs> I attempt to salvage a veneer of dignity, and I order the thing on the main list he's pointing at. He 1,000% knows that I have no idea what I'm asking for. <laughs> But he also wants this to end ASAP, so he pours what looks to me like a glass of white wine and leaves. I take a sip, and immediately, in fucking panic, I look at the wine list and discover that this is not white wine, but a glass of sherry, like from Fraser. <laughs> you may be wondering, as I always did when they would talk about sherry on Fraser, what's it like? How come no one drinks it anymore? Well, I found out the answer, folks, and it's because it's quite bad. <laughs> it's like if wine went bad, like milk do. <laughs> and before you ask, yes, I did drink the whole thing. Out of, out of an insane sense of shame and duty, the bartender forgot me immediately, but I will remember this forever. <laughs> jokes aside, jokes aside. Folks, I like to dunk on our trash country for obvious reasons, but it cannot be overstressed how eye-opening it is to go to a place so much obviously better. In Spain, the city centers don't have cars. There just aren't roads for them. You actually feel like a human being is supposed to be there. Cheap, on-time, high-speed trains connect all major cities. You don't need a car, and when people do have cars, they fucking follow all the laws. Because if you break them, they charge you a huge fine. You can make a living just being an independent farmer with a fucking little grove of olive or orange trees. In Seville, there's this gorgeous public park, garden rather, the size of like four city blocks that we spent five hours in. I would go there every day if I could. Uh, every morning... And night, the bars and cafes are full with basically the entire town's population. Everyone's houses are super small, and everything's within walking distance. So why would you stay in, lonely, isolated, and atomized, when you could just fucking go see all your friends? It's not even like there's a crazy drinking culture. Like, rates of binge drinking are low, and sales of non-alcoholic beer are inexplicably insanely higher in Spain than any other country. The entire time, I couldn't stop thinking about what my life would be like if I lived there, Instead of here, I could probably own a home. I wouldn't be crushed by the constant pressure to work some office job I don't care about. I could take a walk every morning in a warm wind with the smell of life on it. 
I could open a bakery. I mean, obviously, I would, I would start out at one of the ones where we would get a fresh baguette every other day, you know, just to get my legs. But, you know, I, I eventually opened my own. You know, there's not a big pastry culture in Andalusia. You, you, you can't get a macaron or a pie in Andalusia. I could do that. They sell, they sell macarons at the grocery store at the center of town, but not like how I would make them. I'd be the only game in town. I, I know I could do this. I don't doubt myself for a second. I would feel fulfillment and accomplishment in a way I simply can't do here. I could learn to see life as a friend and not as a cruel overlord that I need to trick and defeat every day in order to snatch scraps of joy out of its hands. I could travel more than once every two years. I wouldn't be tired all the time. I could see my friends more than once a month. This, this is the one time a month. <laughs> I would look forward to every day. I wouldn't have to compartmentalize a majority of my waking hours into a little box labeled work that I put away and don't think about. Just looking down the street would be an act of beauty. When was the last time I walked down Milwaukee Avenue and, didn't, and saw anything that didn't weigh on my soul like a lead apron? When was the last time anything new wasn't a hideous atrocity actively making the neighborhood worse? When was the last time I didn't feel like an intruder crawling on the margins of a city built for cars, deadly and loud and ugly? What did I do to deserve this? The thing is that Spain isn't even special. Like, they have a socialist PM, yeah, but it's not like Scandinavia where it's used as an example of socialism working. Spain's government is rightfully not known for competence. <laughs> They're a nation of bumbling dopes who love to be lazy and not work. They all take a whittle nappy every day. It's the poorest country in Western Europe, and Alara specifically is in the bottom 2% of the poorest towns in Spain. And I believe they are that poor. I've been on their roads. And it's like sitting in a rock tumbler. <laughs> Despite that, the World Health Organization ranked Spain the healthiest country in the world last year. If you imagined the bottom 2% poorest towns in the U.S., you wouldn't be wrong to think of hell on earth. Desperate, hopeless people with no chance to rise above the circumstances they were born with and don't deserve destined to suffer and die early, their lives stolen from them by evil people they'll never meet. Meanwhile, every person in Alara has a better quality of life than all of us in this room. Even Spain's big, splashy problem, a, math, a massive youth unemployment rate, isn't even that awful. I mean, like, it's not good. Uh, <laughs> but it's not like there's no work to be done. Young people just don't feel the need to do work they don't want to since you can live a dignified life without having to toil every day. It goes without saying that that's not fucking true here. And again, again, Spain's not special. All it takes is free fucking healthcare and a couple of basic social programs. We could be like this. We could be better than this, if not for the shameful, bone-deep obedience infecting the soul of this country. We are a sniveling, housebroken, Stockholm-syndromed nation, so fucking deprived of dignity or community that we have had to adopt the boot kicking us in the face as our dearest friend. I said I wouldn't talk about the primary, and I won't. But if you aren't fucking furious at every single person who has held power in our lifetime, I don't know what to say to you. A better world is possible. It is possible today. And anyone who tells you otherwise, anyone who does not agree with full-throated vigor is your enemy. But all that said, you can give me some, you can give me some snaps. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> all that said, America's not all bad. 
case in point, when our trip was over, we're waiting to catch our plane to Chicago at the Lisbon airport. I won't get into it, but we had suffered the contemptible incompetence of Air Portugal for the entire previous day and were very exhausted on top of the dull melancholy of having to leave. We were able to get the last seats at our gate right in front of two vending machines, which means that people are constantly pushing through the crowd in front of us to buy like a bottle of water. Sitting next to us was a large American son, a tow-headed giant child, (laughs) wearing basketball shorts, a baseball cap, and with the blonde hair that curls up from below the rim of the hat like a little crown, Logan Paul hair. He was on his laptop on duke.edu signing up for classes. Corruption 101, or whatever they teach the princelings at Duke. His friend sitting next to him noticed that the vending machine had a Mars bar hanging right at the end of the metal spiral, and he made it his missile, his missile, his mission, mission to jostle it out and get free candy. He tried to stick his hand up the slot. He tried to jostle the machine at first side to side, then back and forth. Nothing worked. Finally, he turned to his friend and wordlessly asked with his plaintive eyes for some help. And the kid looked up over his laptop, looked at his friend, looked at the vending machine, and said, without affect, you should shoot it with the big gun. (laughs) God bless America. Thank you. Give it up for Tom. Um, I'm going to tell my own story about an airplane mishap, which is that my husband and I were traveling and had a, a, a rough time with Lufthansa where they made us believe that if we ran, we'd make it to our plane in time. And then as we got there, the, the doors had been closed for like 10 or 15 minutes. There was, there was no way we were going to make our plane. And the lady's very, like, I don't understand why you're upset. There's no, there's no point in getting upset now. And I was like, I didn't do this, but I wish I had. I wish I had gone up to her and said, do you know who I am? I'm Erica Lufthansa. And you just made a big mistake. (laughs) We've got our last op-ed reader of the night coming up. Joe Anderson is an office cog spinning freely and ineffectually in a big building with many computers. He's a dumb guy and co-hosts Erica's favorite podcast, Animos Sickos, a podcast for geniuses which explores the four pillars of modern misery, anime, posting, gaming, and jobs. You can find him on Twitter at Sharia Uncle, he has never been horny. Before he comes up, I want to explain something, which is that when Tom told me he had a podcast called Anime Sickos, I was like, do I have to know what a sicko... This means like a, this is like a, a weird thing. I don't know what sicko is. I don't know what sicko mode is. The cool ones among you might think, oh, do you mean Travis Scott's song? That, sicko mode? Yeah, I'm not cool, so I didn't know anything about that. Um, but then... Sicko mode was unlocked for me by Joe's girlfriend. He told me that she sometimes takes the entire weighted blanket and puts both halves on top of her body and says, I'm in sicko mode right now. And I was like, I get it. I get it. I'm a sicko. I'm an anime sicko. Joe Anderson, come on up. 
Hello, can everyone hear me? Yeah. Cool. So, I've been following the Senate impeachment trial, and I recently came across a legal concept that opened my eyes. Laws aren't real. <laughs> I'm being coy and oversimplifying. A more detailed explanation, translated from its original Latin, goes like this. If you think laws are real, you're a dumb baby bitch. <laughs> Not only are laws not real, but the field of constitutional law is super not real. It's a big make em up If you went to law school, you fucked up big time because second city classes are the same and cheaper. I also lied when I said I was following impeachment. I'm not a sucker. I was a sucker because I followed the Mueller investigation. I did lots of time theft reading about the Russia investigation and how Robert Mueller was going to do some kind of very powerful paperwork and fix our country or whatever. Instead, it took him two years to write an essay that said, America is a land of contrasts. What I am following is that Alan Dershowitz is on Trump's defense team. Everybody knows who Alan Dershowitz is, but here is a quick refresher. He was legal counsel for O.J. Simpson, Jeffrey Epstein, Harvey Weinstein, and now Trump. Dershowitz is also the king of Harvard. And the deans love making out with him because his tongue is dry and rough like a cat's. He also looks bad. When I see his awful head on screen, I take poison damage. Dershowitz sues everyone who calls him a pedophile. So, I'm not saying that. He's just a guy who was best friends with Jeffrey Epstein and... Loved flying on a sex crime plane <laughs> and getting massages on an island that exists to do pedophilia. <laughs> so anyway, Dershowitz is a pedophile. <laughs> and every time someone brings this up to Harvard, they're like, oh, this is very serious. We'll build another statue right away. <laughs> This country hates education, but has a dangerous boner for impressive resumes. Every serious journalist gets so horny when someone from an Ivy League writes a book about how the skull shape of caucasoids makes them natural leaders. <laughs> a cartoon heart bulges out of their chest and their tongues roll out of their heads like a big carpet. <laughs> I got good grades in high school and wanted to be a barber, but some asshole teacher tricked me into applying for college. I was too dumb to get into Harvard, which is for the best, because I didn't go to a school that tenured a protector of sexual abusers. Instead, I went to DePaul, a Catholic institution, which obviously does not have such baggage. <laughs> During my freshman year, using the institutional power of Harvard, Dershowitz pressured DePaul to deny history professor Norman, Norman Finkelstein tenure. 
I didn't really get what was happening at the time because I was 19, and I'd yet to discover the cure for horny. <laughs> uh, Fingelstein wrote extensively about Israel brutalizing Palestinians and criticized the scholarship of Dershowitz's book, The Case for Israel. He also rinsed Dersh during a 2006 debate on Democracy Now!, on campus, Finkelstein was painted as a Holocaust denier, even though his parents were both survivors and much of his extended family died in the camps. Finkelstein's tenure had already cleared two different committees when the decision was reversed and the president of DePaul insisted that outside influence had nothing to do with it, while also lamenting outside influence. <laughs> Afterwards, in a 2009 interview, Dershowitz was asked about Finkelstein and he said, I don't think he's a Jew. He's Jewish only on his parents' side. I later taught as an adjunct at DePaul, and that same administration, when there was talk of unionizing, told adjuncts that we had to do drug tests and submit our credit scores because of student safety. They backed down because too many people yelled. <laughs> it was extremely embarrassing, and they would not have caved if Harvard was pressuring them. The New York Times is a rag written exclusively for people who commute from Connecticut to Manhattan. <laughs> If that's not you and you're paying for a subscription, you're a cuck financing David Brooks's next divorce. In July of 2018, the paper spent a week running pieces about how no one in Martha's Vineyard wants to hang out with Dershowitz anymore. I am not doing a goofer. Here are the headlines. Number one, on Martha's Vineyard, a frosty summer for Alan Dershowitz. <laughs> Opinion, shunning Alan Dershowitz on Martha's Vineyard is not McCarthyism. <laughs> Number three, Alan Dershowitz is enjoying this. That last one should have been Dershowitz is not angry. Actually, he's laughing. This is what institutional power looks like. Journalism's flagship publication just absolutely showing the world their doo-doo ass. <laughs> While important people from good schools say, this ass is very clean. <laughs> Imagine if your boss was like, hey, did you do your job this week? And you say, no, I've been writing fan fiction about Harvey Weinstein's friend. <laughs> You would get fired so fast. They would not let you get your stuff. Every journalist is afraid to criticize the New York Times because they all want to work there. After the NYT did their endorsement ritual, Time Magazine's Phil Elliott tweeted, I'll be watching for sudden hatred from the far left towards one of our most influential liberal editorial boards in the country. I replied, simping for the New York Times, and he blocked me. <laughs> Do you wake up every day and feel like the past four years have been a parade of assholes who are wrong about everything? Would you be comforted knowing that more experts were in charge? If yes, you have been fucking listening to me. These are the experts. Whenever I see memes about missing Obama and wishful shit about how if only we had a smart guy in charge again, I feel like I'm staring at an insanity rune. If a JD from Harvard is so enriching, 
then how come Obama made noted scam artist and Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes a presidential ambassador for global entrepreneurship? I still don't know what Theranos was supposed to do. I think they made a box where you put blood in and quarters come out. Every single public intellectual is a dullard. The reason why is very simple. Appearing smart is more valued than actually being smart. Also, being smart is pointless. It's a stupid parlor trick unless you're making the world some sort of better place. Not to get all no country here, but if the Ivy League let us here, what use was the Ivy League? If you work in a specialized field, there are probably well-respected and knowledgeable individuals that are completely unknown to the general population. That's how you know they're not a fraud. (laughs) There's no single human that encompasses the power of cosplaying a smart guy as Malcolm Gladwell. (laughs) Gladwell, unlike a ghoul like Dersh, doesn't have explicit Ivy League backing. His stickiness is because he writes bullshit that makes supposedly smart people feel smart. That dumb motherfucker sells a lot of books. Before he became famous for writing about how if you do something for 10,000 hours, you get good at it, Gladwell worked for Big Tobacco, making Joe Camel as fuckable as possible. (laughs) Also, that 10,000 hours thing is even right, because I've spent so much time playing video games, and when I play online, (laughs) I get stomped by Korean teens in matching (laughs) tracksuits. Malcolm Gladwell was the guy who pushed the broken windows approach to policing. He's responsible for stop and frisk. The NYPD would bring him around as their pet nerd to convince people that stop and frisk was good policy and in the public interest. Not only was his pseudoscience wrong and uh, a racist and ineffective policy actively fucked up people's lives. That should have ended his career as a serious writer, but he has never faced consequences for it. Malcolm Gladwell is also an Epstein plane guy. I saw a dude reading Gladwell's latest book on the bus and wanted to be like, hey, if you like that, you should check out this other book called Lolita. Literally last week, Gladwell spoke at an event in Pennsylvania and said the statue of Joe Paterno should be put back up because I'm just going to read the quote. There is a reason why, when it comes to questions of whether someone is or isn't engaged in pedophilia, we rely on experts. As far as I know, Joe Paterno never received such training. He said that shit. People clapped. People clapped. So, so what do we do? How do we remove ourselves from under the boot of the Dershowitzes, the idiot New York Times columnist, the Gladwells? A big picture, and I'm being totally honest, I have no idea. (laughs) But on a day-to-day level, everyone needs to hate the aesthetics of educated upper-middle-class professionalism way more. If someone sends you a TED Talk, stuff them in a barrel and roll them down a big hill. (laughs) If your boss invites you to a lunch and learn, kill them. Please understand that the world does not award good boy points for being smart unless you're an ice-chewing psychopath. If the first thing you learn about someone new is that they are smart, 
be fucking skeptical. I'll end with this. Every time I log into LinkedIn, there's a little voice in my head that says, Joe, change your title to CEO of sucking your own dick. I don't because I'm afraid someone with a lot of important friends from good schools will see it. So what I'm asking everyone is this. Please, make a world where I'm less afraid to be dumb as shit. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Um... Joe and uh, his aforementioned sicko mode partner, Winnie, were canvassing for Bernie recently in Iowa. So if you have interest, in, interest and questions, interesting questions. If you have interest questions and interesting questions, there's Winnie right there. Go and see her. And now I'm going to tell my little quick story about Dershowitz. Take a trip back in time. And it was 2004. I was a Harvard Law School girlfriend, and my boyfriend at the time was taught contract law by Elizabeth Warren, criminal law by Alan Dershowitz. The dean of the Harvard Law School was Elena Kagan, who went on to become the Supreme Court Justice today. She's still there. Uh, the dean of, the, of Harvard at the time was Larry Summers, who went on to be, I believe, Treasury Secretary under Obama, but later in 2004, four or five, made headlines because he said in a big-time speech in front of all the Harvard faculty that boys are better at math and science than girls innately. So that, that this is, I'm setting the scene for you, 2004. So in criminal law, uh, they got to the section on rape and sex crimes. And Dershowitz said something that infuriated my boyfriend. Dershowitz said, rape is both one of the most overreported and underreported crimes. And my boyfriend was like, this is completely illogical. Something can't be underreported and un- overreported. Like, that was his problem with it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, well, obviously what he means is falsely reported and, and underreported. But the weirdest part was that Dershowitz declined to teach that part of the the class himself. Instead, two students from the class who were 1L, first-year law students, two female students were deputized, and they taught that part of the class. And I was like, this is really fucking weird. And now that I know (laughs) what kind of a sex pervert he is... I'm like, yeah, I don't know exactly what was going on, but yeah, this makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, teach it for me, girls. Teach it. You, you, you talk about the crimes. Something like that. Anyway, that's a true story, you guys. It really happened to me. So, I got my hair cut today. Your job is to be really enthusiastic. <laughs> Because this is real different for me. This is a departure. This is a real departure for me. 
Uh, but this is a hat here. If you've been having a good time tonight, you've been hearing some great pieces tonight, you've been having a real enjoyable time, and you maybe some drop some dollars on your way in, but maybe you're thinking, man, this is worth way more than the dollars I dropped. Well, here is your opportunity. Because all of the money that you donate tonight, it gets split among our performers. Because at the skewer, we pay our fucking writers. Thank you. Applause break for that. So I'm going to pass this hat around. And now I'm going to bring it back up to the stage. Mr. Kevin Johnson, the quiz master, the game master, the riddler, the enigma, wrapped in a joke and a fun, fun quiz. You're just, you're just laughing, smiling now. This feels very... Kevin, one, sorry, one day I'm going to host this show and we're going to have a smooth transition where I try and say something really emotionally generous and then you just accept that and you're like, thank you, Erica. That will not happen. <laughs> I need another volunteer. I still got more drink ticket. Singular. Someone? Anyone? Bueller? I just want to say that I intentionally live under a rock. So let's see how this goes. <laughs> It'll probably help you. Fuck, I don't know. All right, you know how the game goes. All right, first story. Man uses 99 phones in a wagon to create a fake traffic jam on Google Maps. Story two, a banana was duct taped to a wall. The artwork sold for $120,000. Then a man ate it, which was also art. A what was duct taped to who? A banana okay, yeah, was okay. ta- yeah, duct taped yeah, yeah. to a wall. I came out from under my rock that day, so I saw that. Okay. Yeah. So that one is true. All of it? No. What? Yes, 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 yes. Story three. After dropping an EDM track named Don't Doubt Your Vibe, Tesla's Elon Musk wants to battle rap fellow spacefaring billionaire Jeff Bezos. One of those is fake. What are you looking around for? They can't help you. They can't help you. So, I mean, was it Elon who had... Like, what's her face in his house? Grimes, Queen. a.k.a. C. No, which no, no, is Azalea. Oh, that was also true, yes. Both of them, uh, yeah. both of them, yes. So, so, so battle rapping? Uh, no, then the first one is false. Even though that sounds like a thing I want to do. God damn it, Anisha. Yes, the first one is false. The first one is false. Even though I really want to do that. Which is the man with the wagon. Yeah. You're wrong. No, that happened. He was also he was, he was also an artist, but I just I went with the headline that called him a man because I was like, "Fuck you, that's not art." Shut up. <laughs> anyway, Tesla is not. He is. I mean, no, no. His name is not Tesla. His name is Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. Elon Musk is not going to battle rap Jeff Bezos. Why? But I kind of want it to happen. Yeah. Um, your second set of stories. In 2019, more Americans went to the libraries than to the movies. Yes, really. That's the whole thing. Story two. After a series of box office duds, Warner Brothers is going to let AI help direct a series of movies. Why not? Story three. Business is booming for Iran's largest flag factory, which makes U.S., Britain, British, and Israeli flags for Iranian protesters to burn. 
Yeah, that one is true. So, um, do Americans like libraries more than movies? It's possible because it's Netflix. Possible. So, two is false. Yes? Yes. Two is false. Yes. So Warner Brothers isn't going to let them direct, but it'll help them decide, I guess, which sequel they're going to make or one of the yeah. fuck. I don't know. Third set of stories. Story one, Jesus Take the Wheel. A southern pastor adds holy water to windshield wiper fluid to protect Amazon delivery vehicles. <laughs> okay. hey, yeah. Story two, employment tribunal rules that ethical veganism is a philosophical belief protected by law against discrimination. Story three. Missouri church leader charged with soliciting prostitution on Grinder with an Arby's gift card. <laughs> and men, if you're wondering, yes, he's got the meats. But I love a good pun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I love a bad pun. Yeah. <laughs> That's, bad puns are the only puns. No. Um, okay, so holy windshield. Yeah. Meh. I believe that shit because <laughs> preachers. Yeah. Um, and then the middle the one. Veganism is, a, is protected yeah, by Yeah, I'm going to say this one is false only because I didn't understand the sentence. It was just like words. <laughs> <laughs> what are you clapping for? <laughs> what are you clapping for? If you can't read it, it's not real. <laughs> In Britain, somewhere, there's an employment tribunal that ruled that ethical veganism is a philosophical belief and it's protected by law from discrimination. That actually happened. Therefore, you are wrong. Okay. I still don't know what that means, but okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Veganism. Wrong. Yeah. No, protected. It is not... It is, not protected. It is protected. God damn it, you're messing me up. God damn it! <laughs> Yeah. Take, take, yeah. It, take, just take it. Take it. Please. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the story that is incorrect is the first one. It is a mixture of two different stories. <laughs> Driver training was reportedly too much of a bottleneck for Amazon, so they just didn't do it for the delivery drivers. They were like, eh, well, you know, whatever. And the second part of that is that there was a Louisiana church that filled the plane with holy water and blessed an entire community. They just, like, crop-dusted it. And, and you got Jesus. I would like to transition back to Erica, but she is going through papers. Are you okay? Okay, we're good. We're good. Welcome back. Thank you. You guys heard that thank you, right? And now... The crown jewel of the evening. The debate. Sometimes there is a topic in the month. In fact, every month there's a topic of the month that is so huge, so complicated, that we require two writers to duke it out and figure out what is the meaning of this complicated, vast, intense, strange story. Bringing up to the stage now our two debaters. First, we have Carrie Cook. Carrie Cook grew up in a small town in Indiana and went to a series of schools whose mascots were Abraham Lincoln, an angry dachshund, 
a train, respectively. She majored in film and has, was four credits short to a post back in writing when her parents asked, do you need another degree for something you'll never get paid to do? Her other writing has appeared in SF Fiesta, Misspoken, and probably the best live journal you'll ever read. Carrie Cook. Thank you. And our other combatants. Justin Parlett is a comedic actor, writer, director, producer, and nap enthusiast. You can see Justin in the sketch groups Vodka Pancake, Mixtape Rewind, and Off the Clock. He improvises with The Church of Bonatology, Uncle Bobo, and True Crimes. Justin splits his time between Chicago, Oregon, and Los Angeles with his wife and their socially acceptable number of cats. He won a debate scholarship in college and is ridiculously excited for this. Give it up for Justin Parlett. <laughs> And our topic, ex-spouses Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston both won Screen Actors Guild Awards in January and were photographed gazing lovingly during each other's awards speeches, then making tender physical contact at an after party, sending elder millennials like myself swooning. <laughs> Who should be the next 1990s era couple to reunite these 30 years later? Carrie, who you argue for? I'm arguing for the legendary Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake. Just, Justin, who you'll be arguing for? Wayne and Garth. <laughs> right. Carrie, you will be going first tonight. Your opening statement. Thank you so much. A wise woman once sang... Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? <laughs> Another wise woman also sang, My loneliness is killing me. Yes. And I must confess, I still believe. <laughs> well, Brittany, so do I. The next 90s duo to make a comeback must be Brittany and Justin. I'll admit, I was a little excited to see the Brad and Jen pictures the morning after the SAG Awards. Until I remembered that Brad is a creepo who did Jen dirty. Where was all of this romantic energy when you were cheating on her on the set of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Brad? Hmm? But let's talk about the why behind our collective excitement about Brad and Jen. Ultimately, this was a potential redemption story. It's, wh it's what we all want to happen when our ex sees us out after they've broken up with the rebound. To look perfect preferably in formal wear with hair and makeup done by professionals <laughs> to have them watch us win an award and for us to watch them swoon. Would we get any of that satisfaction with a Wayne and Garth reunion? Absolutely not. <laughs> a reconciliation between Brittany and Justin is the obvious next step of that sentiment. Let's reflect. Did Jen ever, in public, look like we all look post-breakup? Never. Not for a moment. Sure, maybe she looked a little sad on a tabloid cover or two, but that bitch did not even sniff a pint of Ben and Jerry's, and we all know it. <laughs> Brittany, on the other hand, had a downward spiral we can all relate to in Trump's America. <laughs> Hell, I almost shaved my head out of sorrow and rage watching the State of the Union last night, and I doubt I'm the only one. <laughs> Wouldn't it feel great to watch her emerge from the ashes like a beautiful, head-to-toe, denim-clad phoenix? <laughs> and let me be clear. I'm not advocating for a Brittany and Justin to ride off into the sunset happily ever after. No, no. 
I want them to get together just long enough for Britney to write a full-ass burn book style album about him and get back to the top of the charts and destroy Justin for good. Why? Why? Justin Timberlake is a complete and total trash monster. He has talked out of every side of his mouth about what Crimea River is about. First, it was about his friend who got cheated on. Then it was about him being cheated on by three different girlfriends. Then it was about one girlfriend specifically who he promised he would never go public about why they broke up. Uh, great job there, buddy. The use of the Britney clone in the video was so subtle. <laughs> he then goes on to write what goes around, dot, 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 comes around clearly about her relationship with Kevin Federline, even stooping so low as to use an unnecessary ellipsis just like Britney did in dot, 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 baby one more time. <laughs> this man would not have a solo career if not for his exploitation of his relationship with Britney. The least he can do is give her fuel and publicity for her return. Justin was also caught recently canoodling with a co-star on location for his latest movie, so the breakup with Jessica Biel is practically inevitable. The only question is, what do you want him to do afterward? Date a string of models? Or date Britney again, have her deliver the humiliation he's earned, and get the comeback story she so richly deserves? I have, thus far, not even touched upon my competitor's option, because honestly, there's just not that much to say. <laughs> it's a non-option. Fact when I told two younger millennials about the debate and used Wayne and Garth's full names, neither knew who I was talking about. <laughs> there is no excitement, no intrigue in a Wayne's World reunion. There actually already was a tiny one at the Oscars last year, and no one remembers it. The only people who were interested at all were the same people who, if they went full reunion and did a Wayne's World 3, would bitch on Twitter about how we're destroying their childhoods. Yes, I'm talking about middle-aged white men. <laughs> Must we do more to cater to their whims? History has shown they never appreciate it when we do. Aren't they the people who got us into this general hellhole in the first place? I cannot in good conscience support a Wayne and Garth reunion despite the fact that I say, if it's a severed head, I'm going to be very upset every time someone says they have a surprise for me. <laughs> the cold truth is, Brittany and Justin's reunion isn't an if, it's a when. The only if is if you will be on the right side of history when Queen Brittany rules again. words and semi-convincing arguments from, from my esteemed <laughs> opponent, Carrie. Uh, before I get started, I just want to let you know that, yes, I, I did have a debate scholarship in college, so I took this way too seriously. Uh, I would like to thank our gracious host here at Cafe Moustache, our producers, Erica and Tom, for providing you, the audience, with this fantastic night of humor and art. But that's all over now, because now we're debating. And if I've learned anything from the Democratic Party, it's that debate kills fun. <laughs> We've been tasked with answering a question which has plagued humanity throughout its entire history since the beginning of recorded time, or at the very least since VH1 started airing I Love the 2000s during the 2000s. <laughs> Who should the next 1990 era's couple be to reunite? these 30 years later. 
In order to determine which couple is superior, we have to establish why we're asking this stupid, stupid question. Is it because in the last 30 years, excuse me, four years, have been such a dumpster fire that we're longing to escape into a nostalgia of an era when things were just a little bit simpler, when presidents were impeached for stupid reasons as opposed to actual treason? Probably, let's go with that. Good old-fashioned escapism through nostalgia. My opponent wants you to get Britney and Justin back together out of spite, but I'm asking you to get to your higher level. Let's have some goddamn fun. Because don't we deserve that? If the idea... Apparently not. My entire point is ruined. Look, look, if, 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 I'm hoping that we want this nostalgia, and I'm hoping that's honestly true, because I base my entire argument around it, so if you don't buy it, then... Uh. Uh, But we have to ask which couple embodies the 90s. If the question is which couple of the 90s we want to get together, which isn't a couple that is actually of the 90s? And one of the challenges that I've run into is, is something that was brought up by my opponent. You see, it seems most people in their 20s, when they think of the 90s, they think of an era between 1998 and 2005. And I'm sorry, but that leaves a large section of the 90s out. A section of the 90s that were ruled by two best friends from Aurora, Illinois. I'm talking about Wayne and Garth, your local heroes. Because in this debate, they are the home team. No 90s couple better encapsulates the bond of friendship and change the cultural landscape of the 90s better than Wayne and Garth. Wayne's World is a real 90s institution, and its influence is so significant, it's likely you might not even realize how many of the catchphrases that you use on a regular basis, one-sided by my opponent, came from Wayne's World. Things like, as if, party on, no way, way, excuse me, we're not worthy, sure, right? Extreme close-up, just saying not when someone says something sarcastic. And my personal favorite, if you're going to spew, spew into this. <laughs> From 1989 through 1994, the Wayne's World films and sketches on SNL came to help define pop culture of the 90s. During the 40th anniversary in 2015, the duo was anointed as the most memorable sketch in SNL's history. And we as comic enthusiasts and comedians can debate whether or not that's true, but this listing was created by people who aren't in the comedy industry, people who watch the show and enjoy the show. And they said Wayne and Garth is the best thing that SNL has offered us. They were so famous in the 90s that the BBC extracted their sketches from SNL and made standalone episodes of Wayne's World to show the British public. Which is just insane, but they did that. There were Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Game Boy, and Sega Genesis video games based on Wayne's World. They had crossovers with Elvira, Michael Jordan. They made an appearance on Sesame Street. And on SNL, they mingled the likes of Wayne Gretzky, Bruce Willis, Aerosmith, Sharon Stone, Heather Locklear, a virtual poo-poo platter of 90s icons. And then there's the movie. Rather than mimic the simplicity of the television sketches it was based on, the screenwriters of Wayne's World follow Hunter Thompson's adage, when the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. (laughs) 
Because if anything, Wayne's world is fucking weird. <laughs> Beginning with the subject matter, these two Led Zeppelin-loving cable access show hosts from upstate Illinois are the premise. And using that idea... The filmmakers create this movie so deliciously odd that Robert McKee, the author of screenwriter Bible Story, cites Wayne's World as the epitome of absurd comedy. And that's high praise for an SNL film. I mean, have you seen Pat? (laughs) Stewart saves his family? They're shit! (laughs) Wayne's World transcends that because here in 2020, we're used to films and TV shows regularly breaking the fourth wall and joking at their own expense. But in 1992, this was far less common. And here was Wayne's World, a corporate film from Paramount Pictures making fun of corporate film products. The movie featured characters trying not to sell out while the creators were actively selling out. It employed narrative tricks like multiple endings, speaking into the camera, dream sequences, unfeasibly attractive girlfriends for these idiots. <laughs> Wayne's World mocks celebrities and other films mercilessly while operating on a whole different plane of existence to the 1992 that the rest of the world was living in. Now, all this is distilled into a scene where Wayne and Garth criticize product placement while they are advertising Pizza Hut, Reebok, and Pepsi the most three iconic 90s brands that I can think of. And if you could think of another one that is more iconic than that, you can have my Huffy White Heat. Now, all of that is commonplace, right? A lot of, a lot of the comedy that Wayne's World gave birth to and eventually, and eventually uh, became a victim of, things like Family Guy breaking all of these stupid rules, that all started with Wayne's World for better or for worse. And it was very fresh then. And it continues to affect the way that comedy is produced today. So in closing, why is this important? Why am I talking about this? It's because we're charged with answering which couple of the 90s we want to get back together. Well, frankly, I want the couple that reminds me why it was fun to be alive in the 90s. I want Wayne and Garth. So climb into their pacer with me. And headbang along with Bohemian Rhapsody. Because as Brian May of Queen says, Wayne's World revived Queen in the 90s. You would not have Bohemian Rhapsody, the Academy Award winning film, without goddamn Wayne's World. And why? Do we know that? Because they put Mike Myers in the movie. (laughs) Specifically for that reason. So come on, everybody. Party on with me. Spirited openers. Amazing. Giving this topic its due. We are now arrived at the question and answer portion. Debaters, can you confirm and affirm now that you have not heard these questions in advance? I have not. I affirm. All right, these are going to be improvised, off the cuff answers. My first question is for Carrie. Carrie. This is a photograph from 2001, I should show it to you, of Justin and Brittany at the American Music Awards wearing head-to-toe denim. Please, explain to us why we need this again. I mean, honestly, I feel like a picture is worth a thousand words. If... If you don't get this in your heart, if you don't feel this in your spirit, I can't convince you. This is the 90s. This is everything. This is everything I want to. A brief rebuttal? The picture was taken in 2001. 
Who cares? Oh, I'm sorry. Like the rest of the country, have we decided that words and facts don't matter? Yeah. All right. Yeah, welcome to 2020. Welcome to 2020. Excellent. That was a good taste of rebutting in the skewer debate. And a, and a great example of how cool I am in handling it. Justin. Your question. What about an all-female Wayne's World reboot? Are you brave enough for that? Oh, fuck yeah. It needs to And in fact, they've actually already had female Wayne and Garth. They made an appearance in 1993 on SNL. So, yeah, not only am I for it, but it's been done, and they'd probably bring it back as part of a reboot. I need only reference the all-female Ghostbusters. To tell you how people would actually feel about an, a female Wayne's World reboot, I mean, again, I said this in my opening remarks, the Twitter middle-aged white men would have a field day and make it miserable for all of us. Spirited. <laughs> Carrie. Yes. What's a good way to remember that Justin Timberlake's wife, Jessica Beale, is different from Jessica Alba? Because I sincerely cannot tell them apart. That's a great question. And uh, I would say you, you don't need to. <laughs> they, they are of equal relevance. And uh, as I stated before, Justin's going to leave her soon anyway. So she's, a, she's, kind of a, she's kind of a non. She's a non-starter at this point. Justin. Can Wayne and Garth make out? Are you brave enough for that? Of course. Why the fuck wouldn't they? Uh, I kind of feel like they already have. It's just cable access may have not been brave enough. But it's 2020, and I think it's time to show their true love. Because they clearly are in love with each other. Cassandra is a smokescreen. I think that must be some Wayne's World inside baseball. Question for both of you. Were the 90s actually good? Or is that just misplaced boomer and elder millennial nostalgia? I think all eras suck pretty equally. Uh, but this, that's the whole point of nostalgia. It's, we make it seem better and to deal with the hell that is our current existence. So uh, I would say no, but... That's why you got to pick out the nuggets that are good and bring them, bring them forward like full head-to-toe denim. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to disagree. I'm, I'm, well, with the, head, with the head-to-toe denim, I will disagree with that. The Canadian tuxedo has no place in modern society. But I, I will say, well, maybe for some, it's a fashion choice. You're free to choose that if you like, but I'm also free to not. Um, I, I will say I, I completely agree with that statement. Like, I, I don't know if the 90s were better than today. I just know that when I think about Britney and Justin, I get a little bit of anxiety um, because I, I, I love Britney and Justin's kind of a garbage fire. Um, but I also don't want my love of Britney to, like, force her to do something like get together with a garbage fire to make me feel better. But having Wayne and Garth get back together would just... I think bring a lot of joy to the world because they're just two morons in a basement enjoying music and talking about how much they enjoy music. 
And that's kind of fun, and we need that, because it's really hard for me as an elder millennial to find music that I like now, because there's too many choices. So I need someone to guide me. There you have it. There you have it. And now we will have our closing statements. Carrie, you went first. So now, Justin, you will go first. Uh, Let me authenticate into my iPad. (laughs) I've successfully authenticated. All right. So according to New Idea, which is a celebrity relationship and gossip tracker, Spears and Timberlake were only a couple from late 1998 through mid-2002. Now, I'd hardly call that a relationship the staple of the 90s. And it doesn't really matter if young millennials couldn't remember who Wayne and Garth were. Because I guarantee you when they go to a karaoke bar and Bohemian Rhapsody comes on, as it does at least twice a night at any karaoke bar, everyone in that bar bangs their head like they're insane. That came from Wayne's world. That directly came from Wayne's world. On his literal deathbed, Freddie Mercury watched that scene and laughed his ass off. I don't know. That's the, kind of, that's the kind of joy I want in the world as opposed to, hey, let's get Britney back together so that Justin can make her sad so she can make a record. I think Britney's doing pretty good on her own right now. She's making some pretty damn good music at the moment. Don't ask me what it is. <laughs> I, I really do firmly believe that outside of Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee or maybe Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love, or possibly Julia Roberts and Lyle Lovett, or maybe Pete and Pete. There are no more couples iconic to what the 90s can and should be. A time of fun, a time of friendship, a time of hanging out. I think that's what we all need right now. Let's put down our phones, let's take our earbuds out. And let's just hang out with each other in a basement or, well, maybe not a basement. That can be creepy. But, like, wherever your friends are. And let's go cruising around in your sustainable uh, electric vehicle. And remember that life is about connections and about celebrating what we each enjoy. It's, it's not about the, the vapid emptiness of a celebrity relationship. It's about happiness and connection. And that's what Wayne gives us. And that's what Garth gives us. Not Canadian tuxedos and spite records. I urge you to vote for friendship. Party on! I would like to clear up one thing date-related before I get into my prepared closing statement. Uh, Both Brittany and Justin were in the Mickey Mouse Club when they were used, and if you think that they were not fucking on the set of the Mickey Mouse Club in 1992, then you are crazy. They were eight? They were eight. Then you are crazy. The Mickey Mouse Club was a cesspool of fornication, and I will hear no difference. (laughs) I have written this in advance. So I'm sure my opponent has done his best to advocate for the losing side of this debate. (laughs) But the truth is, a Wayne's World reunion doesn't bring us anything we can't get already by watching an episode of Lip Sync Battle or hanging out at a guitar center at, like, 3 p.m. on a Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know why Wayne and Garth broke up? 
No, because they're fictional characters and not even good ones like Buffy and Angel. Oh. <laughs> That's a toxic relationship. Uh, but you know why they broke up. Uh, <laughs> but the reason that there was no Wayne's World 3 is because Canadian diva Mike Myers felt he wasn't getting enough credit for the characters he created. I guess the money and the ability to torture us all with the love guru just wasn't enough. (laughs) By advocating for Wayne and Garth to reunite, you only encourage this middle-aged white man's behavior and thus the behavior of all middle-aged white men. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, I ask you to contemplate a philosophical question posed by the trash monster himself, Justin Timberlake. What's the deal with this pop life? And when is it going to fade out? (laughs) The answer, never. Brittany and Justin is the reunion we all need. The reunion that will inspire us, that will save us, must not be a sad old man ego circle jerk. It must be pop. All hail Queen Brittany. Rousing debates, arguments, both sides courageously advocating for their side, but there can be only one winner tonight, and we have a judge, and we also have, the judge will judge you. You are the real judges, but then there's a judge judging the judges. And so, by applause, you're going to applaud kind of, like, a, a decent amount of applause for the person you think lost, and then applaud like crazy for the person you think won. You understand this? We're, we're, um, we cradle egos gently, like children here. Very fragile. Very fragile. So, if you think the winner of the debate tonight was Justin Barlett, please uh, clap like mad. And if you think of the winner of the debate tonight was Carrie Cook, please clap like mad. <laughs> Judge of judges. Carrie is the winner. Here is your skewer. Well, everybody, that has been the skewer tonight. Thank you for enjoying our show. We're going to be back next month on March 4th, which I love the date March 4th because it's an order. March 4th. (laughs) (laughs) And I will see all of you there. Thank you so much. Have a great evening. Thank you for listening to the Skewer Podcast. If you like what you heard, you can always come to a live show at Cafe Mustache in Chicago the first Wednesday of every month. If you like the podcast, you can subscribe on wherever you get podcasts. And if you want to know more about the show or be in the show, you can email us at skewerchicago at gmail.com. Bye!